was uh, Monday night this past week, and I started putting together my Father's Day gift. Anybody got a Father's Day gift last week that required assembly? Uh, mine, mine was a workbench. That's what they got me for Father's Day. I think that was a hint. Uh, uh, but uh, I started putting it together. It was like an old erector set. Remember those? Who's old enough to have a remember erector sets back in the day? Uh, they used to have toys that weren't on your screen, kids. And uh, uh, so uh, I, I went to my erector set that was a workbench. And uh, th- this might surprise you, but I'm not, uh, I'm not a real stickler for the details when it comes to those instructions. I don't know if you've guessed that about me. But it was going, going fantastic. Everything looked like a workbench. Every piece I put on this thing uh, it looked like it was in the right place. And, uh, but then I got to this next step in the process, and it required more of the bolts that were in the, you know, the little hardware package that I did not have any more of. And it's then that I stopped and started reading the instructions, and I realized there was two kinds of bolts. Now, I'd, I'd known that, but I didn't know that they were so particular that they had to be in certain places. And so uh, the AA bolts... Uh, which were, there was 52 of them, I didn't remember the number, uh, I had used all of them, and I still had many more AA bolts that needed to go into this thing. So I had to uh, un- undo everything that I had done. Who's been in there on a project, right? Uh, and, and so I'm, you know, I'm furiously drilling and re, uh, reattaching with the EE bolts, which were supposed to be where the AA bolts are, uh, so that I could move on. I got, I got so frustrated, it was hot. Uh, you know, it's, still, it's been so hot, and, you know, it's the weather, and, and I'm out there sweating. It's 10 o'clock at night. The thing's not done. I just left it. Who's ever done that in the middle of a project? Didn't throw my drill. I, I was, you know, God was good, and he kept me from breaking things further. But uh, I just walked inside. I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. It's hopeless. It's hopeless. Ever felt that way? about a situation in life, maybe it's something that you're facing. Ever felt that way about a person in your life? <laughs> are, you, are you sitting next to that person? Someone answered very loudly here in the front row. I hope you weren't pointing when you said yes. Yeah, the, the world's full of what seems like hopeless uh, cases and lost causes. It seems like, you know, we're, ne- we're never going to get a break. Uh, things just are never going to come together. You know, I was talking with some of the guys in the sound booth this morning. I know uh, you guys probably read your newspapers, watched the news or whatever. There's, there's been a historic ruling in our country. And, and some of the Christian community has felt like, well, here we go. Lost cause, hopeless case. Um, you know, heading down a, a road morally that, you know, we're just never going to come back from. But we, we can feel that way about stuff. By the way, just my two cents on that. Uh, uh, truth and love. Okay? We stand for the truth. We express it in love. That's how it's always going to be. It's how it's always been. We don't let the government determine our faith. All right? Truth and love. Everybody with me on that? Can I keep preaching? Okay. Now, moving forward. Lost causes. Hopeless cases. We're surrounded by them. Get us to the point where we can just think, maybe this isn't going to work out like we had hoped. But (laughs) then we read our Bibles. And we read stories where people get into pickles all over the place in that book. Have you read that book? I mean, people just are in, they are hot messes in, in sticky situations. And this God that we believe in, this God that we all come this morning to celebrate and hear about, maybe some of you are here under duress. If that's the case, I'll try to make this, you know, painless for you. But the God that we, that we all believe in, those of us who do, he is in the business of redeeming hopeless cases and lost causes 
I mean, that's like, that's what he does. Since sin entered the world, it has been one hopeless case and one lost cause after another that God has, by his grace and mercy and love, interceded on, uh, stepped in on and just said, you know what, even though this is, like, 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 let's just take this room for example, shall we? This room is full of hopeless cases and lost causes. You're like, not me. I mean, maybe someone down the road for me, I could probably that guy. But not me. No, no, no. Just so you know, the Bible describes every one of us as a hopeless case and a lost cause. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that every one of us was dead in our transgressions and our sins. I don't know how much more hopeless you can get than dead. Dead's dead. It's not like kind of dead, sort of dead, close to dead. It's dead. No life. Spiritually speaking, Paul, the guy we're going to talk about today, describes everyone as a hopeless case, a lost cause. We're all dead. But there in that chapter, in Ephesians chapter 2, you get to verse 5, it says, But in God's love and mercy, by grace through faith, he has brought all of us from death to life, from hopelessness to an eternal hope. Every one of us, hopeless cases, lost causes, redeemed. By the love and grace of God our Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Right, is everybody picking, me up, picking up what I'm putting down? We have hope. Because we have a God who is in the business of redeeming lost causes. We're going to read this morning about a lost cause. I mean, you guys were like, well, prove it. Okay. Like the worst dude ever became one of the greatest leaders in the Christian church in all of history. His name was Saul of Tarsus. He was a persecutor of church. He wasn't just kind of ambivalent about the Christian faith. He wanted it to end. And he was doing everything within his power to crush the early church. And so God looked around the landscape and he says, I need a new leader. I need somebody to take the gospel to the Gentiles. I need someone who's going to be my guy. And he skips over all the current apostles. He skips over all that second generation of Christians that came to Jesus at Pentecost. He skips over all of them. And he goes right to the end of the line. Least likely to succeed. <laughs> and he says, Saul's my man. And we're going to examine today how Jesus worked his miracle in the life of a guy who was a lost cause. A hopeless case. And here's what I want you to get today. Certainly there are people in your life. We talked about this last week. You know, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Many of you raised your hands and said, this year I want to be used of God to share my faith with someone and see them come to Christ. Now, we're going to spend time over this coming year talking to you about how you can do that. I'm going to teach you how you can do that so that when you get in that situation, you know what to do. But the, but the, but, I mean, the first step is just saying I'm, I'm willing. I'm desirous of that opportunity. doesn't matter if you know how to do it. If you don't want to do it, you're not going to, Right? So many of you raised your hands. But some of you, as soon as you raised your hands, you're like, oh no, he's gonna, God's going to ask me to share with Earl. Oh, I know he's going to make me share with Earl. And Earl is a lost cause. Earl is my hopeless case. There's no, Earl might be your cousin, your uncle, your brother, your husband. <laughs> okay? But you look at them and you're like, oh, he's going to make me go to him. There's just no way. This guy's too far gone. Now, let me encourage you. He's not as far gone as Saul was. And Jesus swayed that man's heart. Right? So be encouraged. Whoever God's calling you to, whatever lost cause or hopeless case it is, 
God is big enough. He is able. And he will, he will do the same that he did with Saul by his grace and through his love. Now, secondly, you're going to come up against some things in life that are going to feel like I'm in a lost cause. I'm in a hopeless case. And I just want to let you, if you're there this morning, the storm clouds have gathered, everything is a mess. Hey, the God that loves you is a redeemer. And he is able to take lost causes and hopeless cases and set them on a new path. So we're just going to discover three things today about this lost cause, this hopeless case named Saul. Three things in his story of of conversion that I hope are encouragements to all of us. The first one is this. People can seem to be lost causes, but Jesus Jesus still finds them. Again, read your Bibles. Over and over again, the hot messes uh, turn out to be okay. Not by, not by their own strength. Not because they were okay in and of themselves, but because God, through them, accomplished amazing things. He takes ordinary people and does extraordinary things. Lots of times, he takes like less than ordinary people. <laughs> like the losers. Has anybody noticed how many times God taps the loser in Scripture? Hey, you're a loser. Let's do this. He loves doing that. People can seem like lost causes, but Jesus still finds them. Here's the story of Saul. Here we go. Chapter 9. And we're going to kind of flip-flop back and forth between chapter 9 here, as Luke writes it in the book of Acts, and chapter 26, which is actually where Paul himself, this guy Saul, becomes known as Paul. Saul's just the Hebrew rendering of his word. Paul's the Greek rendering. But he becomes, uh, 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 well, in prison for himself. Uh, later on in his life, he's following Jesus now, and he, he's under persecution. Oh, the irony, right? Because he was the persecutor. And now he's, he's defending himself before King Agrippa, the, a descendant of Herod the Great. Uh, there in, in Israel, and, and Agrippa's hearing his case. And so Paul tells his own story. We're going to kind of flip-flap, flip-flap, or flop, uh, between the two in chapter 9 and 26, and just kind of get the full uh, uh, details of what happened that day on the road to Damascus. Here we go. Saul, still breathing uh, threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. This is chapter 9, verse 1. He, he went to the high priest, and it says, verse 2, that he asked uh, for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, uh, a place that's in modern-day Syria, a place that was outside at the time, uh, the boundaries of Israel, so that if he uh, found any belonging to the way, this is what they called uh, Christianity back in the early first century church, uh, because Jesus made this claim, I am the, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So they kind of took that phrase that was commonly known in the Christian church, and that's, that's what they, they labeled them. They're, they're the way. They're the way people. He says uh, he wanted to go and, and, and basically take all the Christians, men and women, uh, who belong to the way, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now where it says there that he was, uh, uh, verse 1, it says that he was breathing uh, in and out against the, uh, the th- threats in and out against the mur- and murder against the disciples. It's basically this picture of a horse flaring his nostrils before it goes into battle, right? Like anybody get really mad and just start going, <laughs> oh, I just choked on my, <coughs> pardon me. I just choked on my anger. But if you've ever seen a little kid clench his fists, that's, that's the picture that we have of Paul here. He wasn't just kind of passively, you know, I'm, I'm a little miffed. No, he was murderous. And was, uh, his, his whole life was dedicated to the destruction of the church. Look what it says in chapter uh, 26 of, of uh, Acts. Here he is before the king, uh, King Agrippa, and he's given his defense uh, of, of his faith. And, and he starts with his story. And he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 10, 
says, and I, I did so in Jerusalem, not, not only locked up many of the saints in prison after uh, receiving authority from the chief priests, but, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Basically, uh, they, they tried to be law-abiding uh, uh, inquisitors. They basically tried to do it according to the Jewish books. So, so Paul would go out, he would find the people who were belonging to the way, they'd bring them into a, a, a panel of the Sanhedrin, they would have a, 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 a Hebrew trial, uh, and, and everybody would get the vote. Is this person a follower of the way? Yes. And, and, and Saul says, I would cast my vote. Every, you, you did not have to worry about me if I was on the jury. Everybody who followed the way was going down, if it was up to me. Verse 11 says this, and I punished them often in all the synagogues. He didn't just stick to Jerusalem. He went outside the city's, uh, city walls, and he went to the, the outposts of worship in the Jewish faith. And he, if he found a Christian there, he, he punished them, and he tried to make them blaspheme. This is really interesting. Paul would apparently get Christians, and he would abuse them, torture them. Just like you see on the TV shows, you know, 24, that's old, but, you know, like, uh, let's get him talking. Let's, let's, let's get him saying some things. And he would say, this can all stop if you will only but, and then whatever the blasphemy was that he wanted them to do, if you just do this, uh, we'll stop beating on you. He says, I, I tried to make them blaspheme, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities, places like Damascus. Uh, Saul seems, at the early part of his story here, like a, like a lost cause. He's a hopeless case. Not just kind of, you know, against Jesus a little bit. He's doing everything he can to undermine the efforts of the early church. But Jesus found a way to kind of get into Saul's life. We're going to talk about that this morning. I don't think uh, the first time that Saul thought about Jesus as being real, as being... Uh, who he says or who his followers purported him to be. I don't think that was the first time that that happened was in, in Damascus. Here's why. Do you know the only other time that Saul's mentioned before this in the book of Acts? It's at the end of chapter 7, the beginning of chapter 8. He's standing around at what was the, basically the first martyrdom of the early church. A guy named Stephen uh, was giving testimony to his, his faith, and he said some really nasty words to the people he was talking to. And they picked up rocks, and they took him outside, and they, they started throwing at him until he was out. And it says there that this guy named Saul stood there, and he held their coats. He held their coats. He was there, present. And it says in chapter 8, verse 1, that he gave his approval. As these early, uh, uh, you know, uh, persecutors of the Christian faith took the life of the first one who would die in the name of Christ. He was like there just nodding his approval. Thumbs up. Kill Stephen. Yes. Why does Luke mention the fact that Saul was there? Ever wondered that? Maybe you didn't even know that he was there. He was there. Why? why, why? Well, here's why, I think. Because even as Saul starts his career of crushing the early church... He's around people like Stephen who, even if death was the end result, would not recant their faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. How many people did Saul throw into prison who said, you know what, I'll choose prison rather than recant my faith in Jesus Christ? If you've ever, like, who remembers the story of Jesus at the cross? There's a Roman guy, a soldier there, standing at the cross. Centurion. He looks up at the cross and says, Jesus is breathing his last. Do you remember what the Roman centurion says? Surely this was. Who? The Son of God. You can't be around Jesus or Jesus' people for long periods of time and not start to kind of bend in the direction that Jesus would lead us to. I did another project yesterday. Want to hear about it? 
I got a whole list of knockout stuff in our house, and uh, one of them is the inside. I got to paint let's paint the inside of our, our fireplace. We have a beautiful old working fireplace. We painted the outside brick a, a nice, you know, white color. It's really pops in that room. I guess it's the decorating term. Anyway. Uh, but the inside has, has lots of like residue from all the other paints, just kind of a mess. So my job was to spray paint the inside of the thing black so it just looked neat, right? So I was like, well, this will be easy. I mean, I'll be really careful. I'm not going to get close to the edges to worry about, you know, the, the sides and whether or not I'm going to bleed over on the edges. And I'll just, I'll just spray the inside of this thing, knock it out. Look, it'll look nice, right? <laughs> Things went well. I was finishing up, and my left hand had been sitting or, you know, steadying me as I was spraying on the inside of this thing. And I picked up my left hand, and on the white block of this fireplace was this nice imprint, a white imprint of my hand. The rest of it had been kind of tinted a little bit of a gray. Is everybody with me on this? Uh, Why had that happened? Well, because I was spraying into the fireplace, the spray paint was bouncing off of the fireplace and had spread out for about four feet, five feet outside of my fireplace, and it now covered my terrazzo floor in my fireplace. So the five minutes it took me to spray my fireplace became the hour that it took me to clean up the spray of my fireplace. Now, why does this happen to Mark? Why does this continually happen to this man? Because God knows I got to preach on Sunday. That's why this happens. And I got to be able to explain stuff that's going on in his word in a way that you can understand. And here's, what I'm, here's what's happening with Paul. Paul's getting the spray over of the Christian that he's around. The Christians that he's around, he can't help but get a little bit of the mist of Jesus on him. Are you with me? And Jesus is leaving his handprints all over the life of Saul, I believe, even as he's busy persecuting the church. I mean, Christian after Christian. I mean, if it's just, if just a couple crazy people believe in this thing, okay, maybe, you know. But if person, I mean... Person after person after person in all of these outposts, in all of these synagogues says, I choose Christ. Do your worst. That's got to wear on a guy. And here's the deal. If you are dead set against Jesus and you start seeing Jesus for real like like Saul was, you either got to ratchet up your hate to a point where you just completely dismiss all the things that you're seeing or you start capitulating towards those things and you end up being like Saul, right? It's either got to go one way or the other. Saul's method of dealing with the Christianity around him was just to get more angry, breathe more murderous threats, throw more people in jail. But I believe all along that Jesus was setting up, setting up Saul to become his man to the Gentiles. A few years ago, I stood over on the side of the church. I was just getting ready to leave a service. It's like two years into my time here. And a guy comes up to me, shakes my hand. Introduces himself, can't remember his name, sorry. But he says, uh, hey, I, I know this is probably bad. I've been sitting around here for you know, a couple of years, but uh, I'm leaving uh, this week with my wife and I. We're, we're being sent uh, you know, in my job in another place. And so I just wanted to say hello for the first time and goodbye for the last time. I was like, well, nice knowing you. All right. And by the way, if you've been hanging out for a while, come say hi. Just let me know you're here. I'd love to meet you, okay? Uh, but uh, in this particular case, it was hello and goodbye all at once. But he says, listen, I just want to tell you real quick my story. Uh, I started coming here a couple years ago, right around the same time that you started you know, preaching here. And I only came because things with my wife and I were really bad. She's a Christian. I was not. And I was adamant about not being a Christian. 
And it was really starting to kind of wreck our marriage. It was affecting our family. So finally, after much you know, discussion, I, I decided I would start coming to church. But here's what I did. I sat in the back row and I just folded my arms the whole time you were talking. I tried really hard not to listen to you. And it worked out great. My wife would stand and sing the songs. I would sit there, arms folded. Because one time my wife even came up to you and asked me to pray for you as I stood six feet away waiting for her to be done with you. I was really mad that day. And I could hear your voice. You didn't know it was me, but I could hear your voice praying for me that I would somehow find faith in this Jesus thing. And I just shook my head and walked out of there. We had a big fight that day. He says, you know what a strange thing happened? Somewhere along the line, my arms came unfolded. And I started listening to the stuff that you were saying. And I started listening to the stuff that my my wife had always been saying. And I don't know, it just kind of changed for me. And I want you to know, at the time of his leaving, it had been a couple months before, just a couple months ago, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And my wife and I, I'm still learning, but my wife and I are heading in a different direction. And I just wanted to say thank you for the church and all that it had done in my life so that I could get to where I got. See ya. <laughs> I floated out of this sanctuary that morning like one of those Macy Day parade balloons. Just kind of like, whee! And not because of anything I did. I never met the guy. I talked to him for 15 minutes. He related his story. But here's the deal. If Jesus wants you, he's going to get you. And you can fight and argue. You can dismiss him and those who follow him. But ultimately, it's just how it works. He's going to bleed around the edges of your relationship. He's going, to, he's going to spray his handprint over your life over and over and over again until finally you follow in faith. People could seem to be lost causes, but Jesus still finds them. Jesus confronts people on their Damascus Road. That's the next thing I want us to see in the story of Saul. Jesus gets us to points in our lives where we, we, we made, we've got to pick. We've got to go one way or the other with them. He'll kind of orchestrate events so that we come to a, a, a point of, of choice. And that's what he does with Saul. Look what Luke tells us in Acts chapter 9. Now, now Saul went on, on his way. Uh, he approached Damascus. He'd gone about 150 miles from Jerusalem up to Damascus. Uh, and a, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Who's heard the story? Anybody? This was a favorite in Sunday school when I was growing up. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? It goes on, it says this. This is uh, Acts chapter 26. And in this connection, I, I, I journeyed to, to, to Damascus with the authority and, and commission of the chief priests to, to find the followers of the way there. Verse 13. At midday, now this, this, is, this is Paul kind of adding some details that was left out of Luke chapter 9. What time is it? Midday. What time's that? Noon. Where's the sun in your world at midday? Is it, is it high in the sky? Pretty hard to find some shade around noon around here, isn't it? So Paul says, listen, this light that's shone on me, shone so bright. Well, look what he says. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shines at midday. And it shone around me and those who journeyed with me. Verse 14. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Jesus knows our language. Saul, Saul, 
Why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Oh, that wasn't in chapter 9. You see that? Saul gives us another little line there that Luke left out of the chapter 9 part. He says, Jesus said to him, why do you kick against the goats? I can't tell you how many times I use that phrase. Probably six, eight times a day, right? I mean, you've used that phrase, right? Hey, why do you kick against the goads? Like in traffic, you say that all the time, right? Does anybody know what that means? Why do you kick against the goads? You have to be an ox farmer to know what a goat is. Uh, If you've ever, we use that in our language if you're goading someone along. A goad is a stick. It was a stick that an ox farmer or an ox owner would have as his team of oxen would be going anywhere. Actually, you see this in Africa all the time. You'll just be driving along in Africa and there'll be a team of oxen walking along the side of the road and some little dude with a big stick just going, kapow. That stick is the goad. Now, every once in a while, farm animals are like, knock it off with the stick, right? <laughs> and so you will see a, you know, an ox just kind of, gaga, right? He just wants to take the stick and the stick owner out. In those cases, do oxen owners be like, oh, sorry, you go wherever you want. Is that what oxen owners do? No, if the ox kicks the stick, guess what happens next? You get more stick. I got, a, I got a deaf dog at home. It's 16 years old. It's a cockapoo. And uh, it's awesome in some ways because you can't wake that thing up. Like, like all, you know, you, you walk in, like I can shut the garage door, slam the garage, you know, uh, the, the, the door into the house. I can, I can like right next to his bed, nothing. Who wants, I want that. Does anybody want that? I want that. I want that ability to sleep when someone does that. But it's a pain when I have to put him outside. Because what used to be, hey boy, come here boy. No, that's not going to do it anymore, is it? Because you can't hear me. So here's what I got to do. I got to walk out into my moonscape yard. Cause there's no grass. And I got I to gotta just start. This is what I do. Come on, buddy. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. No, over here. And this is a 16-year-old dog. How many years is that in like, dog years? Like 190 or something, right? He's like, I'm 100. I don't care. Do, it. do your worst. I'm going to sniff whatever I want, bro. Is that how it works in my house? No, you know who the alpha is in this house. It's me. And we will get you to that door, dog. It's going to happen. You determine the force with which the boot comes. Yeah. Jesus says to Paul, quit being such a deaf dog. Jesus says to Paul, quit being like a, a, an ox that thinks he knows. You keep kicking against the goat. What's up with you? I've been trying to get a hold of you for a long time now. Can we quit kicking? Everybody has to get to that part or that point in life where they quit kicking. Can you remember when you stopped kicking? Anybody in here? When Jesus finally made sense? You know, a lot of us, maybe we came to Christ when we were young. We didn't know any different. But even those of us who put faith in Jesus Christ as young people... You know, children, we, we, had to, we had to come to a crisis of faith usually in our later years. We're like, do I believe this or not? Is this mom and dad's faith or is this mine? And maybe, it, listen, maybe, maybe God's good to us, isn't he? He's got good to us. He is totally good. And so many of you, your stories are, listen, you know, so one day I woke up and I chose, chose my faith for myself and that was it. I didn't, I didn't have to go through heroin addiction or anything like that. I just, I just put my faith in Jesus and that was good. Ah, oh, that's the grace of God. You don't ever be ashamed of that testimony. That is awesome. But some of us, we're two-by-four Christians, right? We've got to take it upside the head a few times. 
Why? Because we love to kick against that God. We love to do whatever we can to just outrun, rebel against Jesus. We're going to just stay away from him as long as we want. But then Jesus, he corners us, doesn't he? Anybody been cornered by Jesus? That's what Paul, that's what happened with Paul. Hey, bro, let me turn the lights on here. Bam! Why are you persecuting me, Saul? Why are you kicking against the goads? And it was decision time. I'm looking out over a sea of faces. Many of you, I know your stories. And you came to that decision time and you quit kicking. In every hopeless case, in every lost cause that would be found and would be reformed by the grace of our God, it's, it comes as at the end of the kicking. You can go through the stories of Scripture. You can see the prodigal son and the story that uh, Jesus told about uh, a lost son. Remember, what, where, where was his Damascus road? Is it the pig trough, right? And the, 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 this prodigal son, he goes off and he spends all of his father's money. He, he, he's basically uh, subjected to slavery. He's eating, as a Jewish boy, the slop from pigs. Double whammy. Not a good. And he's leading over, you know, this slop. And he, he finally has this epiphany. And it's his Damascus road. Moses runs from the authorities in Egypt. Spends 40 years tending sheep out in the, out in the Midian wilderness. Uh, he, he's doing everything he can. To just stay low. And then all of a sudden a rhododendron catches on fire. And God's talking to him and telling him to take off his shoes. And that was his Damascus road, right? Saul's Damascus road was the Damascus road. But every one of us in here, if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, we hit that point where Jesus says, hey, are you with me or not? Can we quit kicking? Third thing I want you to notice here is that Jesus saves people on their Damascus road with a purpose in mind. This is really great. Look what it says in chapter 9. It says, and he said, who are you, Lord? This is what Paul says. Now, you could take this a couple of different ways. You could take this as, as or I, I keep saying Paul and Saul. I know it's Saul. Everybody with me? If you're going to like correct me after the service, if I skip Saul and Paul, just can you just give me that one? Is everybody okay with that? They're really close. Everybody gets that, right? So Saul says to Jesus, he says, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Strange thing to say. It'd be like me saying, who are you, Grant? Right? I mean, if you know somebody's name and you say their name in a sentence, it's like, why are you asking who they are, right? Now, some people say when they read this, uh, you know, scholars will say, well, Lord, there, the word kurios is actually, uh, can be used as like a, 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 a gentlemanly greeting, like sir. And so Saul might be saying, to this loud voice in this bright light, uh, pardon me, who are you, sir? That doesn't, that doesn't seem to resonate with me. I, I prefer to take it as, as Saul saying, like he almost slips up. He's so in wonder, so amazed at what's happening that his, his already beginning belief kind of shows through. And he says, who are you, Lord? He's already starting to get it. Who are you, Lord? And, and Jesus says to him, he says, I am Jesus. Now, right there, Saul has to make a decision. A bright light and a voice from, a, from the light is saying, I am Jesus. Present tense, currently, I am Jesus. So Saul knows right away, Jesus is real, one, and Jesus is alive, two. He's got some decisions to make about that. He says, I am Jesus, and secondly, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul knows right away. 
that everything that he has been doing has been going against this very real and this very alive Jesus. Because Jesus, and this is good news for us, it's kind of a little sermon sidebar, but isn't it great that when Jesus hurts, or when we hurt, Jesus hurts? That Jesus is so in tune with his followers. He's not this distant, faraway God who's just kind of like, you know, whatever. He, 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 and, he and we are together. And when we are persecuted, he is persecuted. When we rejoice, he rejoices. He says, I am whom you are persecuting. As you persecute my followers, you persecute me. Now, in the, in the chapter 9 account, it gets kind of abrupt here. He gives his answer and he says, all right, Saul, get up. Rise and enter the city. And, and, and when you get there, you're going to be told what you're to do. Now, if, if you take this and you go to chapter 26, which is where we're going next. This is what it says there. Saul, who is now Paul, in his defense of himself to King Agrippa, says, I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Word for word, chapter 9, right? But here's the rest of the story. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you, here we go, for this, say it, ah, talked about this last week. That if, if Jesus makes you and I a disciple, he makes you and I a disciple with a plan in mind. He has a purpose for your life. Ephesians 2 again, it says that we are his workmanship created for good works in Christ Jesus. That's his purpose. It's not to save us and have it terminate there. It's to, it's to save us, to regenerate us, to redeem us as hopeless causes and, and to lead us into a life that's used for his name's sake. Rise and stand your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. What is it? To appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Now, that's a bunch of words there. But basically, here's what he's saying. You're going to be my witness. You're going to tell the story of this day. And what's Paul doing here in chapter 26? He's telling that story to King Agrippa and everybody else who's listening. You're going to talk about everything that's happened up to this point in your life with me. And, as Paul tells his story looking back, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to go on here with you and me, Saul, Paul, whoever. Now, there's going to be a lot of amazing stories that you're going to be able to tell. And, and, and just read the book of Acts. Starting with chapter 12, it's all Paul. It's all the things that he did in establishing churches and, and all the ways that God delivered him over and over again. That's what he talks about next. What it says. He says, I will, I, I will use you as a witness and I will deliver you from your people and from the Gentiles. Well, what's he mean? He says, listen, lots of people are going to want you dead. And if you know the story of Saul, that is absolutely true. He got it coming and going. The Gentile, everybody who was suspicious of him because of all of his persecuting tricks, they hated him because they thought he was going to come and try to put them in chains, just like they did with their cousins and wherever. But the Jews, once they saw that he had gone to the other side, they hated him. Wasn't nowhere that this guy went. That he didn't have people who wanted him dead. But Jesus says there on the Damascus Road, as, as Paul tells the story in, in Acts 26, he says, listen, Jesus says, I'm going to deliver you from the Jews, your people, and from the Gentiles, whom I am sending you to, uh, to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's a lot of... A lot of words there, but he's basically saying, listen, man, you're going to be my witness of all the things that have happened with you and me. I'm going to protect you until I'm done with you, and you're going to take my good news to the Gentiles. Boop, 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 right? 
Everybody understands that you and I are here in great part because the Holy Spirit, through Jesus, prompted the transformation of a lost cause named Saul of Tarsus. And Saul took the gospel to the Gentiles, of which we are descendants of. Is everybody with me on that? He saves him with a purpose. He says, we got things to get done. And by God's grace, he accomplished them. Can I read you the last few verses? <clears throat> In chapter 9, it says this, The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, uh, hearing the voice, but seeing no one, just a bright light. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw how much? He was blind. So they led him by the hand uh, and brought him into Damascus. They were close. Just finished up the road. Uh, he's paying the bills. I guess we'll just take him there. Uh, but apparently our mission has changed. By the way, do you think these guys talked about the story? I always wondered if there was like a pact, like what happened on the Damascus Road stays on the Damascus Road, right? <laughs> We're not going to talk about this to anybody. This is too weird. We don't know. But this is the last verse I want to kind of comment on. It says that as Saul was there in Damascus, for three days he was, these three things, without sight, blind, without food, and without drink. <laughs> Welcome to Christianity! This, this incredible, miraculous conversion on the Damascus Road does not uh, culminate in a party in Damascus with the rest of the Christians. No, Saul comes into town. It's raining, everyone, if you're wondering. Saul comes into town, and as he gets there, he's left alone by the men that were with him. He has no friends in Damascus. He's blind. No one's feeding him. He's got nothing to drink. Well, that's a fine how-do-do right there, right? I mean, who's signing up for Christianity if that's the first three days? Anybody want to go on that cruise? You're blindfolded, and you won't eat or drink for the first three days. Welcome aboard! None of us are in on that. But does everybody understand that the early church, that was pretty much everybody's plight. Maybe not the blindness. And maybe not three solid days of not eating and drinking. But there was a lot of persecution for everybody who followed Jesus Christ back then. Now, we live in a day and age and in a country where historically we've had freedoms to worship. But that's not the same uh, for everybody in our world these days. I mean, you can go to different parts and pockets of the world where people who choose to profess Christ are under constant siege. They risk imprisonment. They are shunned in business. I mean, this is just what it is to follow Jesus. This is, and so, listen. The, 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 the Western Christian response to trials is usually, God, why? Why? Why are you letting this happen to me? I thought once I got with you, it was like, you know, free skate. Rose gardens. He never promised us a rose garden. But that's our mentality. That's our attitude. God, why are you letting this happen? You know what people in, 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 in less privileged areas ask as Christians when things go... They don't, they're not surprised, first of all, that things have gone horribly wrong in a sinful world that is against them. And the mature ones, instead of asking why, they ask two questions. Can I give you these two questions as we close today? Because if you're going through a trial, these are the questions that God wants us to discipline ourselves to ask first. The first question is this, not why is this happening, 
But God, how will you use this to make yourself bigger in my life? Everybody hear that? That's a spiritually mature question to ask in the light of trials. Hey, God. Uh, I'm getting it on the chin at work because I've spoken up for my faith and everybody else is going in a different direction. Hey, God. My family is rejecting me because I don't politically line up with them anymore. Hey, God. Uh, I'm just going through a hard time. There's too much month and not enough check. You know what a spiritually mature follower of Jesus Christ asks in that situation? All right, Lord, this is where I'm at. It's what's going on. How will you make yourself bigger in my life as a result of this hard time? What are you going to teach me about you? How are you going to take me deeper in what it is to have faith and follow in you? And then the second question they ask is akin to what I was just talking about a second ago. Is this, God, how will you use this to make yourself known through me? Those are our first two questions. How are you going to make yourself bigger in my life? And then, God, how are you going to use this in my life to make yourself bigger in the lives of the people that I know? That's our focus. So if cancer comes up on your test, like I was talking to a guy from my life group, pancreatic cancer. Uh, he's, he's, He's a young guy, late 30s. He's got a successful guy. He's got a lot of, just, 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 you know, just really getting cranked up in his Christian faith. Comes up to me and says, hey man, results are back. I'm heading up to Johns Hopkins. We're going to get some more tests there. We're going to hope for the best. I'm praying. You pray with me. I'm like, dude, absolutely. I said, how are you? You know what he said? He says, you know, I'm going to learn more about God in this thing. I already have. Uh, that's, that's the first question. He says, you know what my only concern is, is that God uses this in the lives of those that I love and those around me? Oh, that's the second question. And so I said, Chris, this is going to be okay. I mean, it may not be okay, okay, but it's going to be okay. And we'll pray and we'll see what God does. But if you maintain that attitude, then you understand what it means in James where it says, take joy in trials. He's going to create perseverance. He's going to, he's going to make himself bigger in your life. Take joy in trials because those trials might be the things that lead someone who is a lost cause and a hopeless case to Christ around you. And that's my prayer for us as a church. That we'd never look at someone and say, too far gone. Read your Bibles. Saul made it. They can too. That we'd never look at our life and say, this is too hard. Slow your roll, cowboy. Jesus has got you. He's a redeemer. He's in the business of taking broken things and making much from them and doing much, accomplishing much in you and I in the process. May we meet him in life's struggles. May we meet him on our Damascus road. May we follow him and help others follow him too. That's my prayer for us. Let's pray it now. God, thanks so much for your word and a chance for us to gather around it. Lead us, Lord, to a life uh, hopeful for lost causes. If we're sitting here this morning, we feel like we are one. May you encourage us, comfort us in the trials of our lives. Would you lead us, Lord, like you did Paul, uh, into a life of following you and being used by you for the glory of your name? Would you help us, God, to maintain faith in a world that is becoming increasingly hostile to the things that we hold to? Show us the path. Lead us. Take our hand as we walk it. And keep us ever faithful to you, I pray. In Jesus' name. The church said?
Amen. God bless you as, as you go. Get some carbs. Say hi to people. I'll be over here in the corner if you want to talk or pray. At the side.